Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi everyone, it's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, everyone. I'm Wilmer Valderrama. And I'm MR Raquel. Welcome back to Essential Voices. So, how are you this week, Wilmer? Oh, you know me, MR, rocking and rolling out here. Even though I don't really listen to a lot of rocking and rolling. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Recording these episodes always puts me in a good mood. Yes, I'm here. Then why don't you kick this off by telling our beloved listeners what this week is all about? Absolutely. So this week is actually one of our more intense episodes, but because of that, I think it's one of our most beautiful. We knew that we couldn't complete a show about the toll of the pandemic on our essential workers without taking time to make space for a conversation about death and grief. The death toll just recently crossed 900,000 in the United States, and the impacts of that will be felt for years, even after mask mandates are lifted, the pop-up testing spots are closed, and we all pick up the pieces. As a team, we knew it was important to acknowledge that we're all grieving, not just for those we lost, but for the time we've lost, for missed moments of in-person connection, and for the multitude of plans put on hold. It's definitely a lot to take in, but we had the privilege of being in conversation about this loss and how we can all recover, create hopeful futures, and tend to our grief. Yeah, these were not easy conversations, but I feel so inspired once we were done. There is such power in knowing that we are not alone, and I hope that everyone listening feels a similar comfort when joining us for this episode. And just a quick note to our listeners, this episode deals with death as a result of COVID-19 and terminal illness, so keep that in mind when deciding when and where to listen. Our essential worker this week is Sean Troy, who's a funeral director at Troy's Funeral Home in Mullen, South Carolina. He took over for his father, William Penn Troy Sr., after losing him to COVID in 2020. We spoke with Sean about what it's like caring for the deceased and their loved ones, especially during the pandemic. Afterwards, we'll talk to reporter and the host of the Better Together podcast, Maria Menunos, and Reverend Jen Bailey of the Faith Matters Network about their own experiences with grief and how our collective grief intersects now more than ever. This is a friendly reminder to all of you that this would be a good time to get your tissues ready. Seriously. Sean's story starts right now. 
Hi, I'm Sean Troy from Mullins, South Carolina. Sean, thank you so much for being here with us. I wanted to ask, you know, if you could explain to us a little bit your family business and why did you want to join the family business, uh, Troy's Family Funeral Home? I started working with my father in the funeral business when I was in seventh grade. My brothers, I had two older brothers. They also helped in the funeral business, but they took different paths in life. But they also helped out, you know, and still come home and help out every now and then when needed. But I love people. I like meeting people. I also like helping people. And that's what basically, you know, gave me the pathway to know that's what I wanted to do in life. Uh, along with my father, that's what type of person he was. Um, like I say, helping people in the community and helping people during their time of bereavement. Was there a moment when you were young that made you passionate about your work? Probably around high school. I started getting more passionate about it. You know, as I was younger, my father wouldn't let me back in the embalming room because back then that time it was just more uh, bacteria and things, you know, air purifiers weren't as powerful that they are now, but I was more upfront with him and just, you know, doing the funerals and working things like that. But as I got older in high school, I started becoming more of a passion for people. You know, I always loved people. I always like to talk to people and everything else, but just working on funerals and being a part of that became, you know, something accustomed to me that like I wanted to do and I like to do it. Are there some things about working in the funeral services that people don't know about or that you're even back then your friends had other views or other thoughts about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, you know, as a young child in seventh, eighth grade, it's always jokes and it's still jokes. You know, people, if I go to certain places, people say, ain't nobody dead here. Uh, you know, it's always something, <laughs> some type of humor. So, <laughs> certain places I can't go, you know what I mean? So, I mean, like my father, for one, he never visit folks in the hospital because they looked at him as a funeral home man. So only people who usually uh, went to visit in the hospital was his close family and maybe a close, close friend. How did things change at work with this pandemic? Just like the world, everything has changed now since COVID has come in. For us, we have to take more universal precaution. We always sit universal precaution, but this time it's a little more hectic, you know what I mean? A little heavier because this COVID thing is pretty heavy. And yeah. it's, you know, I've, the funeral home industry has really taken some big, big, you know, hits with that. When I say hits, I'm talking about it's just flooding the funeral home. And as far as a funeral, you know, industry, it takes a lot on us as well. You know, we have to work more, a little harder in precautions. And the funerals have changed as well. A lot of them are going straight to graveside versus in the church or whatever. So it's been a big adjustment for the families as well as us. What were some of those protocols? What were some of those obstacles that you were encountering while you were providing funeral services to families? Well, one of the things that we was providing, uh, like I said, outside services, tent services, graveside, too many families wasn't taking uh, what you call the, the setup, the lights and the chairs to the house, social distancing, of course. Some were uh, just emailed and FaceTime or Zoom or, you know, it just those are some of the turns and things that we really went through with this situation. How was that for you? You kind of remove the interaction with person to person. Now the ceremony, the, the beauty of the send off has kind of been disrupted. And, you know, how, how was that on you guys? For the most part, when you're in the funeral industry, you're kind of prepared for things like, you know, um, as far as the death party anyway. So it's not a happy situation either way you put it. We've been good with the staff. Uh, when it first happened, like I said, my father caught it and I caught it. So I guess I caught it from him, but I'm not sure how he caught it. Maybe a funeral. I'm not sure where, but that was in the beginning. 
But now we're being more prepped about it because when it first came out, you know, a lot of people just didn't think it was real. So they did the minimum. They didn't wear the mask. They didn't do the social distancing. And as it started impacting and hitting people that they know, that's what started being a more of an eye catcher. You know what I mean? Like, like, hold on, wait a minute. This thing is really real. Of course, in New York, I've read a lot about the head. Oh, 18 yeah. Little freezers. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We saw that you footage, know? man. In- they were weeks out for even having funerals and getting the bodies out. It was almost like Vietnam. So many people wear maybe two block radius from a case, right? But they never saw the impact of it. So for you to be able to paint a picture of what it really was like out there, some people really had a lot of courage talking about how it was a fake, you know, how it's a flu, how it's some kind of political move, you know. But when you started really uh, paying attention to some of these incidents and how, you know, the increasing cases and specifically for you to see the aftermath of it also too abruptly, you know, it's... Um, it doesn't get more real than that, you know, and how did your dad do with the COVID? How do you guys do with it? We coped with it very well. Um, when he first contracted the virus, it was just, okay, well, he's in the hospital for a few days, but um, he'll be okay. So we just looked at it in that type of way. But when he first caught it, like I said, I had it as well, and I was in the hospital as well. So with me and my father in the hospital, we're the only two that work in the business in the family. My oldest brother came in from Alexander, Virginia, and he took care of things here. And, you know, while I was still quarantining, after I came to the hospital, I quarantined some more days because my days wasn't up. And once I got 100% well, he went back. But uh, at the same time, my father was still in the hospital. So, you know, we was expecting, everybody was expecting, of course, like you said, he had some unailment um, conditions. But after the sixth week, uh, one Saturday, we got the call. We, and, you know, it was always said that, yeah, he's, he's looking good. Everything's good. Then just one day, it just dropped. The COVID thing, it, it just really hit him on that, you know, he was on a vent, but it was getting better. But then it just took a turn for worse. So when it took a turn for the worse, it was just a big impact to the community. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just hard to explain to somebody you just... A sudden death, you know, to anybody, if you know, like a star die right now, it'd just be amazing, like Kobe Bryant's death. You know, it would just be a, something real amazing to the community. Thank you for being open to discussing that. I wonder if you mind, you know, maybe sharing a little bit, what made your dad so special to you and to the community? Ah, <laughs> that's a good one, man. Um, he was that person that he'll help anyone. It didn't matter what it was or what it was going through, if it was a situation where the lights about to be cut off or, you know, water bill, they laid on their rent. He was a uh, politician in the community, county council. So he served on many different boards in, in the county. So, you know, he was always out to help anyone he could in any type of way. If it was on a board or himself out of his pocket, that was who he was with funerals, Numerous families, he's just helped, you know what I mean? They, they, they didn't have it. They didn't have much. He helped them out. That was just who he was as a person. To me, he was everything. That's who I looked up to. So, yeah, it was a big hit. It was a big hit to me and my family. He was he was, a, he was basically the backbone of the whole family, the Troy family. I can't even imagine, not only just to your family, but what he represented for the community and how he was there for family is just like you are now carrying the torch as well. And what was your father's name? His name was William Pentroy. 
Yeah, well, God bless him and in heaven. Thank you for the love you spread and for the for the care you took of all these tons of families. And thank you for being open with us as well, man. So how can the community support the work that you are doing? Wearing your mask. <laughs> <laughs> At least wear your mask. You know, lower your mask and keep your hands clean and just let's stop the spread of it. That's the first thing. What message would you like to leave for the future funeral services providers? Don't go in funeral business just for money. If you're not for the people or helping people or you just like to be in the prep room doing the prep work, that's fine as well. That's great. You need that as well. And you need our front. But if you just want to go into this profession just for money, then it's not for you. It's not going to be successful business for you. But um, at the same time, uh, it's a great business. They are needed. More professional funeral homegoers and, and bombers and morticians are needed. So at the same time, when it's time for you to get up in the funeral home, please be advised to be safe. Social distancing, wearing a mask, universal precaution, and um, the vaccine. Sean, thank you so much for this great conversation. I really appreciate you sharing a little bit of your life and, and also your family story as well. You know, I think more often in this national and global conversation as they pay tribute to the essential, you know, humans who have been there for us through this very historic time of our lives, often we forget that these you know, are also individuals who got a, a higher call that they weren't even ready for. And um, man, you still showed up. And you're still there, you know, so all my love to your family, man. And uh, big hug to you, my brother. And uh, again, more light for your father as well. Appreciate you, man. I'm so grateful for the work Sean does, not just for the loved ones who are grieving, but the entire community he serves. Sean has sustained an integral part of his community despite losing his father, who sounded like such a wonderful human and parent. I'm really grateful to have gotten to know a little bit about him through Sean's words. Me too. And I'm thinking about perseverance and how it's definitely a theme today. So when we get back, we'll speak with my dear friend Maria Menunos and Reverend Jen Bailey, author of To My Beloveds, both of whom work in their communities with those they love and with everyone grieving these past two years. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. First of all, I just, you know, I'm grateful to be here with Rev. Jan Bailey and Maria Menunos, a sister of Mindful Life. And... Um, in these conversations, you know, it's it's worth noting that nobody really teaches us how to process this stuff. You know, it kind of just sneaks up and we have to learn from our internal instincts. Uh, how do you cope? How do you process? And then you introduce this, this time that we're living right now with the pandemic and where we're seeing very frustrating, very stressful moments that are happening to these families. You know, so I'd like to start with your reactions to Sean's story. And uh, maybe we start with you, Maria. I um I mean obviously I'm a daughter of essential workers so I I get it and I like you I'm a daughter of immigrants you know I I very much connect and I understand and you're right it was a tall order for people who had to go to work in the scariest time that we've ever faced I think in our time obviously it's really sad to hear that he had to go through that whole experience I mean if you're working in a funeral home and then you have to deal with the loss of your own. That's just like a really tough thing to deal with. And so, yeah, it's interesting to hear the behind the scenes that we weren't privy to and how challenging it was at that time for them. And, you know, having to come up with new systems on the fly and having to figure things out and do things a whole new way. It's not easy and under duress. (laughs) It's hard enough to make adjustments and changes in regular times, forget in extreme times. And, you know, I dealt with my parents getting COVID at that time as well before Mm -hmm. vaccines. And that was really scary and really challenging and ultimately led to me losing my mom. So I I understand what COVID has taken from people. Well, thank you for being so vulnerable and so open with your fans and with all of us. You know, it really is um, in many ways therapeutic and enlightening to really hear uh, your journey. You know, because it is one of healing and it is one of celebration too. The memory of your mother has been so present in everything you do every day. It's really inspiring to see that you can continue to carry her with you everywhere you go. So Rev. Jen Bailey, thank you for being here as well. And what about you? What were your thoughts or reactions to Sean's story? I think the first thing that struck me about Sean was just how familiar he felt to me. Mm. <laughs> um, as somebody who was raised by Southern Black folks, like even in the cadence of his speech, and I have members of my family who are funeral home directors. And so I know very intimately the role of the funeral home as um, like the church, a parallel sort of institution within the community that provides a sense of support and sort of unspoken grace in the midst of the arc of folks' lives. And so I think the first thing that struck me about Sean was like, oh, he could be one of my cousins, <laughs> right? Like there, there was something that was really familiar to me. I think also as somebody who has had the great honor, and I call it an honor, uh, of walking with people who've lost folks to COVID over the past year and a half um, in my, my role of minister, it struck me just how much 
so many of us are sitting with not just current grief, but delayed grief. Um, there's this way in which I experienced for myself as I was hearing Chantal, I got teared up because I remembered that I've had two funerals over the past two years. One of a mm. close friend of mine from high school who passed away, not from COVID, but in the midst of the pandemic, less than a month after my son was born and figuring out how to navigate that, he was estranged from his family of origin. So the chosen family had to figure out what does it look like to do a virtual funeral? Um, Mm -hmm. What does it look like to figure out in the midst of a pandemic how to go get his body from this other location, right? Navigating that. Um, And my grandmother passed away this past August at the peak of Delta and figuring out with my family, what does it look like to to gather in community in these times and celebrate the life of a woman who was just everything to me. Um, She would have been 90 years old this month and Mm. still not be able to do like the things we do in community around grief. So, you know, in the black church tradition of which I'm a part, we don't have funerals. We have home going services that usually last six, seven, eight, nine hours. And we're with each other and we tarry until our morning turns into dancing and then we eat. And then we, you know, and there are these ways in which we mark rituals and communities and particularly in, in immigrant communities and communities of color that have been, um, I wouldn't say loss. We're figuring out ways to innovate, right? But we can't do the thing that we know how to do. (laughs) And so I think there's just, to me, like the waves of grief. There's the immediate grief around loss, but then there's the grief that comes up when you reflect on what you couldn't do in that moment and still trying to hold on to the memories of those we care about so deeply. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. What comes up for me in these conversations and and now that you, Maria... And you, Rev Jan, have, have shared your, your thoughts and your vulnerabilities. You know, my best friend, Tadao, lost his mom, his dad, and his younger brother all within three months. I was just blown away by the strength in what he leaned on. And what he leaned on was culture, was tradition. And he leaned on what he knew best, which was the tribute, the honoring, of, you know, their memories in the ceremonial and tradition ancestry that was passed down to it and how to cope and how to handle and how to celebrate through the grief. And in these conversations as immigrants that we all are, you know, we carry a little bit of that tradition. Somehow something is passed on to us and somehow it's in us and it somehow it triggers and it ignites like some kind of, you know, awoken instinct in us to, to handle the way we can. But as you were saying, Revgen, you know, there, there is so many definitions, so many different versions of this grief that, that we've, you know, we've had a tough time, you know, evolving with. Mm. Yeah, Wilmer, that's so true. Our grief is something that we really do carry with us and learn to live with throughout our lives. And also, Revgen, something that you said that resonates with me is mourning the loss of the thing that you can't do. And in this case, because of COVID and losing the tradition of gathering to mourn and celebrating loved ones when they pass. Um, Over the summer, I actually lost my 96-year-old grandpa, not to COVID, but still it was complicated because I'm on the West Coast, some of my family's on the East Coast, others are in the Midwest, some are in the South, so we're really all over the place. And in that moment, I was reminded of the gift that a FaceTime call can be, but also sitting with the knowledge that 
it's not just as easy as saying, I'm getting on the first plane I can find because there are other factors to contend with, the biggest being COVID and keeping our families safe. So, you know, back to what you were saying, Rev Jen, there is a delayed grief and many, many other tiers of grief due to the pandemic that may not even be digested or understood for many more years. Guys, what about the grief that hits when our families and loved ones were diagnosed in those early days? Mm. Like, I remember when I found out my mom was diagnosed, my mom had stage four brain cancer. So we were already being like hyper, you know, aware and scared. Oof. And, um, and I was back East and we had just canceled their trip for Thanksgiving. Cause I said, guys, it's just too dangerous. Everyone's getting it. There's just no way you guys can come back home. And Kevin called me one night and he said, Maria, your parents aren't right. I think they need you. I think you have to come back. And I said, okay. Because I was just going to plan on spending Thanksgiving alone on the East Coast because it was not smart for me to get on a plane and bring it to them either. So I got on the plane and I told everyone, don't tell them. I'm going to surprise them. And on the plane, I'm like watching jackass movies, laughing my butt off, thinking, okay, I'm priming. This is going to be good. We're going to have a great time. It's going to be fine. And I landed to text messages. Your mom was rushed to the hospital unresponsive. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're in a car wreck. You're like, my legs were chopped off. I couldn't even speak, think, feel. I was just a complete wreck and didn't know where to go. Like you're on a plane still, you're still in the capsule. And I raced to the hospital And as I'm getting to the hospital, it's pretty clear she has COVID. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I might never see her again. This is it. She's already in. I can't even see her. And I remember meeting Kevin and my dad in in the parking lot. And I hugged them knowing they probably were infected. But I'm like, I need my last hug. God forbid I can't see them again too. And it was just so scary. And we did get through. Um, We got through those hospital moments and we got them home, but there's a grief to that moment of when you think the bottom's falling out and you think it's over, right? And in those times, a stage four brain cancer patient was not supposed to make it. My dad who's type one diabetic for 50 years, not supposed to make it. He went in two days later, I think it was. And so now I had two parents in two different hospitals in LA, I'm fielding calls like Dirty Harry in a movie. And then how do I, I can't control anything. I'm their caretaker and I can't take care of them. Mm. And then you have to rely on these essential workers, these nurses and these doctors. And one cool thing that I did get to do, and God bless nurses for even having the patience and the heart and the compassion to put us on FaceTime with our family members. I was on FaceTime a lot with my mom. My dad, I knew, was more stable. My mom, you know, I was really, really scared. And one of the nurses said, you know, well, what if we just put her on 24-hour FaceTime? Mm -hmm. Like, what if we just had it going? Mm -hmm. I said, my husband made these little phone stands. I said, I'm going to bring it in. So I put the phone on the stand, had them plug it into the wall, and my mom and I were 24 hours a day. Mm together. I slept with her. I prayed with her. I talked to her. Sometimes it would take hours for her brain to get out of the fog and answer me, but I would keep her brain stimulated and I would keep her moving, her mind moving. And I did church services with her. 
and then was able to see things that other nurses didn't get to see because they were zipping her in and out. They were coming into a zippered room. So I would say, guys, I think her feet are swelling or guys, Mm. I think she's coughing. She's coughing when you guys are leaving. I think she needs some medicine. I had her in the car with me. I had her in the bathroom, like I'd shower and the iPad would be twisted to the side. But there's a grief in those moments that I don't think we've even discussed. And the impact of that fear and terror, that's a whole other level. We'll be right back after this break. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome back to Essential Voices. Those are evolutionary moments for our souls, right? To endure, to, to understand, to process, you know, to function through the face of that you know, commute turns into strength and turns into understanding, you know, and you have a level of understanding for life. I mean, look, if there's someone in my life that has enjoyed her parents has been Maria. Maria enjoyed every second and every inch of those parents, you know, I mean, like from traveling the world to party and to like dinners to, you know, so there's a great example, you know, and I think as I say this out loud, which is I don't want this to be, you know, it's it's going to sound like the end of the podcast, but it really isn't. But we, we should really remember that we we all have an expiration date and that while the goods are good, we should keep cooking, you know. But, you know, you've been incredibly generous, uh, Maria, about sharing your, your story with your parents, your battle with COVID. So I really appreciate you being so vulnerable and offering that. But um, MR, you had a thought. I would love to hear your thought. Yeah, I was just going to say that, Maria, wow, I am so moved and I literally have goosebumps from hearing what you just shared and by learning what you were able to do with and for your mom on 24-hour FaceTime. I'm not the most connected to the phone, as most folks here at Essential Voices know, but I've never heard of this as an option before for family members in intensive care. And it sounds like a real life-saving opportunity for both you and your mom at a time when you could not physically be together. 
you were able to communicate with her nurses when you noticed her feet were swollen or when she was coughing, and you were able to take care of her from afar. It's just really incredibly beautiful. I keep putting my hand over my heart as you speak, and Rev Jen, I've been noticing you make the same gesture. I'm thinking about your mom, Maria, and if you'd want to share with us about who she was, but beforehand, Rev Jen, just because I've been seeing you really in this conversation doing the same thing I've been doing, I'm wondering if you have anything to add about what Maria just shared. Oh, Maria, um, I'm in tears because my mom died of stage four cancer in 2016. Um, Started as breast cancer, then metastasized on her brain. And so as you're sharing your story, um, one of the great gifts of my life was to walk with her when she was on hospice. And so I remembered Mm -hmm. finding all of these like, books of like, she called her brain books, where <laughs> she would try to work through the brain fog. Um, wow. And like knowing what your story is like, bringing up in me like sense memories of what it was like to accompany her in that time. But Maria, like I got to be next to my mom at her bedside. And the fact that you didn't have that opportunity I did actually. Oh, did you? Oh, I got her out of the hospital. Don't you worry. (laughs) With her. Oh no. Oh no. This is a woman who she had glioblastoma. They give you six to 12 months. My mom got almost five years. I walked with her every minute for five years. I was, I took the ferocity I put into my career and just shifted it into my mom. And she's a walking miracle. And we got her out of the hospital. What took her down was that the COVID made her so weak Mm. that we couldn't give her the chemo. We couldn't give her the treatments. And then the tumor just got bigger and bigger Mm. and bigger. And so I brought her back East to be with family. And I went through the whole hospice journey and I was with her every second of every day outside of when I was sleeping. Um, And by the way, have learned so much I'm like an expert hospice worker now, and I know how to help other people walk through their journeys and shortcut so many solutions and things for them because I I definitely learned a lot. And as a problem solver and a producer, I'm like quick to identify the things. But yeah, I I never wanted my mom to be alone. So that 24-hour FaceTime thing was really important for her not to feel alone and scared, which she was a warrior. That woman never was afraid of anything, but... I still didn't want her to be alone. And I really needed, if, if we were going to beat this, which I really believed we could, um, I needed her mind to stay active and to be with me and not to lose her, not for her to fade. But yeah, I am grateful I got that. And I'm really sorry that you had to go through that whole thing with your mom. It's excruciating. I wish our moms could have met because it sounds like they were both warrior women. My mom had cancer for 14 years and treated it like a chronic illness. Stage she, uh, four? Like a chronic illness, right? And so I, I'm like listening to you talk about your mom. I'm like, did, did our moms have the same like warrior woman spirit? <laughs> and, and it just, um, you're bringing me back to some of those sense memories. But I think one of the things that you're pointing to around this question of the grief of finding out is the trauma of this moment that we haven't had the space to process yet, right? Like, I think about the number of children who now have lost both parents. Like, there is a generational impact of this Mm -hmm. particular pandemic that we won't see the arc of 
for decades to know the full impact of. And we also know that trauma gets imprinted on our DNA. And so I'm holding these questions of how do we move through collectively as communities what it means to hold trauma and release trauma in this season because we have not yet seen the end of it. And I think that there are embedded within our communities these rituals, these practices, these modalities of healing that can begin to point us towards how we tend to grief, not individually, because I think that's the great lie of this time, right, is that so many people are living and breathing in isolation because of quarantine, but remembering that we're not alone in our grief, that there is grief being felt collectively in this moment makes the burden a little bit lighter and a little bit easier to carry because you know that you're not alone. And so I'm just, I'm holding you and your family really close. I'm holding this question of what it means for us to like, not quite have processed everything and not even know where we're going with this pandemic. And I'm holding Sean and um, calling the name of his father, William, as ancestor, who's going to be guiding him, even Mm -hmm. though he's not here anymore in the same way, Maria, your mom is guiding you and my mom fiercely lets her presence be known. Um, Especially that I'm a new mom. I can like feel her presence with my baby. (laughs) I can feel Mm -hmm. her direction. So um, I'm grateful that even, even now we're being guided by those ancestors who are with us. You both mentioned your moms and their spirits. And, um, you know, as we acknowledge their spirit that obviously still lives within you and all around you. Rev Jen, you write about losing your mother in your book, My Beloved's. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Oh, I am Christine's baby, a.k.a. Cookie, um, who was raised in Southern Illinois and born in 1953. She was the type of woman who was strong because she carried her community and her family on her back. Um, She was somebody who laughed like nobody was watching, like had the most goofy, loud, obnoxious laugh and didn't care. She was a woman who was the first in her immediate family to go to college. She um, was a mama and a friend through and through. I think one of the the gifts of the relationship I got to have with my mom is that I saw it evolve from like mommy-daughter to the like friend. And Mm -hmm. I know that's not a gift that everybody gets to have. Um, She was organized and like a boss, like a true boss in a way that I aspire to be. (laughs) Um, She was the type of woman that like, if somebody in the community needed anything in a heartbeat, she would make it happen. Um, She loved turnip greens and mustard Mm. greens and like, but couldn't, wasn't the best cook. My grandmother was a cook. And so she used to like (laughs) go and visit my granny and we would come home with the deep freezer full of like greens and like pole beans and all these Southern vegetables that then we take and eat on for the year. Cause that's how my family did. (laughs) Um, She was too busy being a boss. She was too busy being a boss. Um, And thank you for asking me about her because it's only been, you know, she's been gone five, almost six years, um, but it's only been within the last year or so that I can like smile when I think Mm. of the memory of her, because I think, and this is true, I think, and maybe a word of hope I want to offer those who've lost somebody in the last two years, the grief was just too intense for me. I was the only one in the room when she transitioned, when she passed away. And so for so long, my memories were of the end. Mm. Um, And the gift of giving birth 
I didn't plan to give birth in the middle of a pandemic, but the gift of my baby, Max, who's now 16 months old, is that he's begun to like open up like these memories and unlock these memories that had been too sad for me to access of my mom. And like the little things that she used to do, the way she used to rub my back, the songs she used to sing to me, the prayers she prayed over me. Um, and, and so thank you for asking about her because I can smile when I think of her now. And it's, it's and the tears that come are tears of joy, remembering her life and legacy rather than the tears of sadness that had been really characterized the last five years of my grief. And so I'd also say like grief is a journey. It doesn't end mm-hmm. when we bury someone. I think there's like this cultural incentive in the United States to like get over it and get back to work in some cases when it comes to our grief. But um there are hills and there are valleys and it's a journey. It's about adjusting to life in a way for me, my mom was my compass. So like I had to, I have to come up with a new compass, right? A new orientation in the world. I'll never be the same without her. And I know that her presence and her legacy lives within me. And so yeah, she was the best. Basically, y'all would have loved her. <laughs> she also could dance and like used to leave me on the dance floor, like just like push me to the side so she could dance to her old school R and B and get her groove on. And that's awesome. And so yeah, I hold her close. Oh, I'm so I'm so blessed you you shared those <laughs> memories. Mm, absolutely, Maria. I'd love to know about your mom. What was she like? Um, I will add, it's funny you said five years because my husband lost his dad. And anytime, you know, like I, it's a journey. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then I Mack truck just hits me with just grief. And I was like, honey, and I always ask him, is this what it was like for you? And he's like, Maria, the first five years are going to suck. The first five years are going to suck. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm at like seven months. This is really hard. And by the way, we both lost young mothers, you know, because my mom was born in 54. So our moms were both really young. And that's a whole other thing to grieve because you're like, wait, they're supposed to see our kids, right? Like, I mean, that's in the perfect world that we want to live in. They're supposed to, but um, we're lucky we got what we got, you know, when you think of other people, obviously. But my mom was uh, an immigrant from Kalamata, Greece. Wilmer knows her because he met her many times and uh, she was amazing. I mean, she was a caretaker for my dad with diabetes and cooked like her ass off. I mean, I used to challenge Rachel Ray and everybody to cook off. So I'm like, my mom's going to be the best. She'll win. And so my mom's cooked for every celebrity chef. So here's this little school cafeteria cook who then became a cookbook author with me. And she cooked for Rachel Ray, Bobby Flay, Giada De Laurentiis. And so, um, you know, my mom, as Wilmer said, I took them everywhere, everywhere. I wanted them to experience every inch of success that I had because my parents were janitors growing up. And I'm like, no, 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 there's a whole other world out there, guys. Let's go. Let's have fun. Let's explore um, she loved Tom Selleck. I took her to the Emmys and Tom Selleck gave her a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> oh, God. That's um, awesome. Yeah, she was amazing. She was super, super selfless, um, probably to a fault, which I think ultimately kind of leads to the demise because they just give, 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 and then they have nothing left. Um, mm. But she taught me how to be strong and how to survive anything and everything. And um, 
and she could dance her ass off too. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Maria, your mom sounds amazing. I mean, both your moms sound amazing. I would have loved and been really honored to share space with both of them, but I'm so grateful to be getting to know them a little through your memories right now. And, you know, we've been talking today about different personal losses that extend beyond this conversation today because at some point, inevitably, everyone will lose a loved one. It's a shared part of our humanity. And Reverend Jen, a few minutes ago, you offered a piece of hope for folks that have been mourning loved ones during the last two years. And so for you as a faith leader, how do you speak with folks and help folks dealing with grief and loss in your communities and beyond? Well, I think one of the... um the great gifts of being in faith communities is that like, if there's one thing we know how to do, it's be with people at the best and worst times of their lives. And like, we're trained for it. Right. So, you know, my husband's Jewish. And when I think about within that tradition, like the rituals of like mourning and death and like lighting yard site candles and saying mourners cottage, right. Um, But there are ways of being and resources that I think faith communities have to bring to these conversations about grief and loss. And, you know, in my own tradition, the scripture that I often turn people to when I'm sitting with them, which when I was growing up, when I was doing Bible bowls as a kid, like everybody would like have to quote a scripture. And if you forgot something, you would say Jesus wept. Right. But As I've journeyed, especially journeying alongside my mom when she was on hospice, that notion in my own tradition that Jesus wept, right? He wept a friend who died. In this case, in the scripture, like he's about to raise this friend from the dead and knows it, right? But that there's something about the fact that God's spirit, um, whatever you might call it from your location, is with us in the midst of our mourning and that we're not alone, that that spirit, you know, again, I call it God, you can call it whatever makes sense to you, you might call it love, right, is present with you in the midst of it, and that you're not alone is a starting point. That and that, you know, again, as I mentioned before, that grief is not something that happens in one minute, right, or like that ends. It's a really about a reconfiguration of our hearts, and that that is a journey, and that the death of my mom broke me, open. Um, The death of my friend Glendon, who passed away in 2020, broke me open. The death of my grandmother in 2021 at the peak of Delta, right, broke me open. And by being broken open, I was able to both receive love differently and be transformed, both by their memory and by their death. And so I feel like there's so much that we have to learn from death and through this, like the process of accompanying people who are dying. I think it was the author, Toni Morrison, who in her Nobel Prize um, acceptance speech said, like, we die and that might be the point of life, (laughs) right? And that there's something really profound about that in a culture that's really afraid of death and doesn't talk about it or wants to hide it. So like, I think that helping people recognize that you're not alone in your grief journey, that it is a journey, that you're not alone, not just in terms of people, but there, there's something bigger, whatever you might call that bigger holding you, mm-hmm. are all assets, I think, that at our best, because faith communities get a lot of things wrong, y'all, a lot of things wrong at our <laughs> best. Um, those are the resources of our traditions that we bring to bear to these questions. We'll be right back after this break. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome back to Essential Voices. You're spot on, Rev Jen, that this is a collective experience more so than probably anything else in our lifetimes. This pandemic has been inescapable in some capacity for all of us, and no one has been left unscathed by COVID, whether that's mental health-wise, whether that's the loss of a loved one, or the loss of in-person connection. Everyone's been affected. And Rev Jen, you're providing some incredible guiding words for all of us right now. Thank you so much. I'm just inspired by both of you and um and personally I've 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 lost so many different type of relationships to passing you know best friends uh, family members um acquaintances coworkers and I've lost uh you know a big portion of them to depression and to confusion and when I come full circle about processing the time that we have and I'll let that sit for a second because Sometimes we think a loved one's time is ours to, you know, to share or to have an opinion about. And everyone's time is different. Whether it's a parent, a best friend, if God called them for a higher purpose, if they pass, whatever you believe happens, that was the time they had, right? And I try to think of myself as like, you know, how how have I been able to have this interesting close relationship with death where I've been able to understand and process and, and you know, and, and at the same time, I ask myself, have I ever <laughs> really processed it? And the reason I say this is because I feel the emotions the moment it happens. And as soon as it happens, I I feel like everyone in this call has the instinct to like, okay, we can't just be also falling apart. Like, you know, like everyone else, I feel like we also have to have it together. So, you know, we're going to celebrate and you kind of pivot and you put your own grief um, aside and then you, you know, you tap into it a little later then, and then you do the inventory of how valuable the grief is and how evolutionary it could be if you were to lean into it and give yourself to it. Um, grief, sometimes I think, gets a perception, gets the image of sadness. You know, I think people have interpreted grief as a scary feeling, you know, so they avoid it. 
I think film, television, you know, music has really interpreted grief as um, as a very, very painful feeling. Not until I realized that my grief came in the form of acceptance and realization and then do an audit of what those personal relationships to me meant to me in the long run or what contributed and what did they leave behind with me. Those were the things that actually I celebrated through my grief. And, and I lean back into my culture when I bring full circle to the how all of us have decided that we have a different way of coping. And I think about how when there's a funeral in our in my culture, everybody wears black. And, you know, you go to the funeral and you pray, you bring as much light as you possibly can. But then when everybody gathers back at the house, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> That's when the bottle of aguardiente and tequila and all that stuff comes out. And then at that point, it's a celebration of the funniest stories you had to share with that person. And that is the send off um, for a lot of my culture stuff. And I think a lot of our cultures can relate to that same thing, no matter if you're Latin or not. You know, I feel like some of us have that virtue. But in bringing it full circle, you know, sharing these thoughts and sharing your personal thoughts. I mean, I'm I'm assuming you've had some type of uh, feedback from your fans, your audiences, your community, you know. So, Maria, what has been some of the response to telling your story? And what have you heard from other folks that, um, you know, whose lost ones to either COVID or just the actual fact that it was their time? Um, I think people are just happy to hear kind of an honest take and to just kind of be a part of the journey, especially since so many people are going through it simultaneously. We do have a tendency, I think, nowadays to think that the only emotion that's acceptable is happy. And if I'm not happy, like Disney World happy, there's something wrong with me. And I think that one of my kind of things is to make sure everybody understands that that's not real life and it's not supposed to be a real life, right? We're supposed to have a variety of experiences and emotions and they're all okay. And also it's okay for all of us to have different responses to death and different experiences with mourning. And that was another big message that I wanted to get across with my show, Better Together, because when my mom passed, I had done so much prep work leading up to, I was, I was walking parallel lanes. I was holding hope for a miracle because she had been a miracle for so long. I was like, oh God, I know we can do this. I know we can do this. But if it's her time and it's a different story here, I'm going to hold space for that as well. And so we walked that line and I just, there was almost something about me that was like eager to see the end because I didn't know what was going to happen. I was also kind of excited that we could have this miraculous moment like Anita Marjani. And if you don't know her story, she wrote an incredible book called Dying to Be Me. Her body was ravaged with cancer. They were, the priest was reading the last rites. She was in a coma. And then she had this experience on the other side, came back. And within three days, she was totally healed. Mm. So I knew, I know it's possible. I know what is possible. Um, so when my mom passed, it was very strange. And, you know, a couple family members came for a quick jaunt. And then they went and continued with their Easter plans because it was Easter Sunday. That kind of shocked me. And so was I was left with Kevin and we were in Connecticut and I just went out into the pond on a little paddle boat and drank a beer and said, 
I have to go get her outfit for the funeral. And I think I have the strength to do it right now because I was in this like kind of shock and and I needed to be active in that moment. I needed to do something. But I was a little numb. I mean, I cried at some point. And then when the funeral came, I didn't cry at all. And that was shocking to me. But I also didn't feel safe. I don't know why, but there was an energy that was there was compounded by the awkwardness of COVID because we were lucky enough to be able to gather with everybody. And I also just didn't feel safe to have my emotions there. And I, I thought about it and I made sure I talked about it on my show. I said, people could have looked at me and said, how come she wasn't crying? It's her mom. I mean, and no one could ever tell me anything other, you know, there's no criticism that could come my way that would ever stick. Cause I know what I did for my mom and I know how much I love her and how much I care for her. And there was another moment where we took the caretakers out that were helping us to dinner. I think it was like three nights after because one of them was flying flying away. And, and I said, uh, they're seeing us laughing at this restaurant and, and enjoying ourselves. And they must think what a horrible person her daughter is. But you need those moments of levity and you need everything. You need every emotion, you need every experience, and your journey is going to be different than other people's. And you can't assume you know how you will handle things unless you've handled it. And even then, everyone has a different way. So that was one of the things that I really felt was important to share with people and to let them know that everyone's going to have a different experience and they're going to handle themselves differently. And I think a lot of people really um, appreciated that. And then also, I'll share one little thing that a grief doula taught me that was really, really helpful for me as we were really getting closer and closer to the end. She said to me, what is it that you love most about your mom? Like, I'll ask you, Rep Jen, like, what was the thing you loved most about your mom if you had to pick one thing? I would say her laugh. I loved her laugh, right? And the joy that she brought into spaces. Yeah. Okay. And I said to, you know, my mom was the most selfless woman I've ever known. And she said, it's interesting. You didn't say her hair, her skin, her nails, her eyes. You didn't pick anything physical. And that's because it's the soul connection. It's the love. And all of that is eternal. That never dies. The physical body dies. But that's always going to be there and always going to be with you. And so it helped me kind of understand that there, okay, there's a separation that's going to happen, but there isn't a separation. And that helped me through the kind of initial phases of it all. And, you know, like we've talked about, you're going to have all these different hurdles and things to jump through and different stages of grief, but, you know, everyone's got a different journey and a different way of handling it. And I think, Wilmer, you're right. A lot of people just rush back into, let's get to work. Let's forget about this. Let's move on. And you can, and it's a good coping tool, but you can't also avoid it because that pain is going to manifest in your body if you don't let it out. And so for me, it's been really important to, you know, not have people stifle me when I'm sad. You know, your, your friend's reactions are usually, don't cry, don't cry. And I'm like, no, 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 please just let me cry. I have to get this out. I don't want cancer. Like, let me let it out. And so just the other day, I had one of those Mack truck moments when I had to approve a video and I saw a photo of my mom in the video and she had her little beanie on and she looked weak and tired and I just lost my shit. 
And Kevin came in and he was like holding my heart and my head and he just let me cry and let me let it out. And I was snuggling with my dogs and, you know, you have to let people, you, you gotta, and you know this, Rev Jen, very well. I'm sure you gotta hold space for people to let it out. Mm, yeah, wow. Maria, thank you so much for sharing this with us. There really isn't, as you're saying, kind of any rhyme or reason for when these waves of grief wash over us, like you're describing in your Mack truck moment recently. Personally, I find those moments to be, while sometimes very disruptive, also very soothing. It's like a catharsis from way deep down within the body letting me know, hey, slow down. It's time for a release. You've been holding so much inside of you. Let it out, as you said. So I love when you're describing how friends will often say, no, no, don't cry. But your response is that you want to cry because that release is so healthy and and so necessary. So thank you for saying that. And I want to turn it over to you, Reverend Jen, and acknowledge that in this conversation, we've been talking about various forms of grief and loss throughout the past two years and beyond, when there's also been this unprecedented loss of life not due to COVID, but also something that we haven't mentioned yet is the ongoing public and politicized losses that we experienced due to police brutality. During the last two years, we lost George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Dante Wright, Micaiah Bryant, and so many other beloved souls. So can you speak to what your approach is to reframing grief as also inclusive of celebration and, and healing during these moments of public outcries of, of grief? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that I've learned both with personal loss and grief and the sort of public spectacle that becomes when we have these moments of recorded violence <laughs> um, and death is, I'm thinking about the difference between happiness and joy and that those are two very different things <laughs> and that happiness might be a fleeting moment, right? So folks might believe that like you end grief and then you're happy again. But like joy is actually a state of being that is big enough and wide enough to hold our grief and hold all of our love. And so I think one of the things that I'm holding as I think about these really politicized deaths that are a part of a long legacy of deaths that reach back to, um, I think about like the mothers of the movement and Emmett Till and like all these un untold stories of, lynching victims in the in the 1920s and 30s and beyond and beyond and beyond the sort of history of politicized violence in particular against black and brown bodies and i think about how people move through on a very practical level how people tap into a sense of joy even in the midst of loss it is only done in community it's only done when folks can hold one another whether that be physically or spiritually and recognize and see in one another that pain transforming into the possibility of deeper connection to one another so i think it it's really powerful that after george floyd's death we saw even if it was just for a moment like for me i i call these like what they call Kairos moments, like these inbreakings, like a vision, a glimpse of what, what the world could be, like people taking to the streets, right? And one accord. It was just a moment. Don't get me wrong, right? We still got a lot of work to do. And we see poll numbers going back and forth around things like Black Lives Matter, right? 
But there was a moment that showed us what it looks like to show up for one another in grief and when mm-hmm. something is wrong, right? And so I think what those moments have shown me is the possibility of what it looks like when communities come together to grieve and mourn collectively and the transformation that can happen and shift out of the power of that grief and Mm -hmm. that love and the possibility of joy, even in the midst of all of that sorrow. Mm. Thank you for your wisdom there, Rev Jen. You're pointing to finding this power in these moments when communities are banding together to be out protesting and organizing on the front lines and the necessity for creating space to grieve collectively and in community, finding solidarity in one another. There's a lot to be learned from that process. And you lead me directly into my next question, which I'd like to pose for all of you. We're at this point in the conversation when usually we start thinking about the work that still needs to get done. And that's obviously part of this conversation. But in this particular conversation we've been having, there's sort of a reframing of this question I want to pose since it has been such a personal conversation. And so for each of you, instead of the work that needs to be done, I'd like to frame it as, what is your light at the end of the tunnel and what keeps you going? So Maria, could you start us off? Ah, (laughs) (laughs) How do you keep going? Well, I use Rocky as my inspiration. Rocky said, it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And that was uh, a big North Star for me when I got my brain tumor and my mom had hers and we were going through our dual journeys. And then also that life is happening for you, not to you. And so that there's always some lesson, some growth, some change, something in it that you're not seeing. And, you know, with death and disease and all of these things, it's really hard when someone's taken too young or someone's taken, you know, inappropriately, like we were just talking about. But there are lessons in everything. And I remember when I used to do my children's hospital events with the terminally ill kids, I would grab my mom and I'm like, mom, how, what, why do these little kids have to suffer and die? This is just brutal. Like, how could God allow this? And she said to me, she goes, well, how would we have empathy mm-hmm. if these things didn't happen? And I was like, yeah, okay, you're right. They, you know, in a weird way, they have a purpose too. And so I just know how to keep moving forward. And I know that this is all just a part of life. You can't just crumble. You can have your moments where you crumble. You can have your weekend where you crumble, but you got to pick up and keep moving forward. That's life. And anyone who's crossed over to the other side, they're doing their thing. (laughs) I know my mom's up there Greek dancing and she's holding her dog and she's with her parents and she always wanted to be reunited with her mom. And, and it's going to be a blink before we're all with them. So I do understand logically it's all going to happen to all of us at some point. And there, there's those, you know, stories that you hear that are always worse than yours when a little kid is orphaned and you're like, wait, I'm super lucky. My mom got to see my success. She got to be a part of it. So I think of all those things. And and then I remember the last thing she told me when her tumor came back and, you know, I was her Tom Brady, I was her quarterback. So I was the tough one who was like, okay, this is what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. And I 
on the advice of my therapist, she was like, Maria, just go be a daughter and tell her how you feel. So I went downstairs and I melted on the couch with her. I'm like, I'm scared. I don't know if I can fix this time. And, you know, what if I, if I don't do things right and this doesn't work? And, and she was like, I don't know what's going to happen. And you don't know what's going to happen. We're going to try our best. She's like, but if something happens, I want you to promise me one thing. And I said, what? And she's like, always keep smiling. And so that's what I try to do. As you see, even through the tears, I'm always like (laughs) 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 trying to squeeze out the smile because I can hear her saying, don't cry, Maria. (laughs) Maria, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm, I'm really hearing and feeling your mom's presence through what you just shared and her words of advice for all of us to keep smiling. I love that. And for you, Rev Jen, what keeps you going? I have this little miracle that greets me. Sometimes at 3 a.m., demandingly. Sometimes, at, you know, after school, running up to me after daycare. But who is like open to the world and learning new things every single second of the day. And like at a time that feels like so many people are so locked into what they know or they think they know, knowing that there's this little human who's just learning and who doesn't care about anything that I'm doing, right? Like, doesn't care that I'm going to be on podcast, doesn't care that I wrote a book, doesn't care that I wrote, like, doesn't care, right? What he cares about is, like, mama's here. And, like, what a gift to see, like, the possibility in him. Like, he is, whenever I'm feeling hopeless, like, my spark of creativity and imagination, because I just see him, like, playing with his blocks, learning words, right? Just, like, creating and doing and being and becoming right like I think that's it like to be able to bear witness to his becoming right now what a miracle that is what a gift that is and Mm. like he keeps me going Mm, Rev Jen wow your son sounds like he is just full of wonder and bringing so much spirit and soul into your world what an incredible source of inspiration to keep you going And that's something I feel like might resonate with you, Wilmer, with your daughter, Nakano. And so for you, what's what's your light at the end of the tunnel and what keeps you going? You know, I'm going to bring it back to this thing that I think I've said it on the show probably now six or seven times, but keeps coming up to me the moment we keep thinking about what happens after what, you know, what now, what keeps you going? Why do you keep waking up? And, you know, if you woke up this morning, you're already winning. You know, so I always ask myself this question right as soon as I acknowledge that I have that on my wall, right? So when I wake up in my kitchen, there's this massive, unnecessarily huge neon sign in my kitchen that says, if you woke up this morning, you're already winning. And then I ask myself, how much more winning do you want to do today? You know, how many more successes, how many more victories you want to claim for today? I have another 12, 14 hours to go. Let's go, you know? And I asked myself that question. I started asking myself that question probably, I don't know, I'd say maybe less, nine years ago, nine or 10 years ago. The 15 years before that, which was the early side of my career, I experienced a lot of redundancy. You know, I, I went down paths that turned out to be cul-de-sacs. You know, didn't really much to anywhere really. You know, when I referenced those memories back, when I referenced those cul-de-sacs, those moments where I had to make a U-turn and then get back in the freeway, metaphorically, I realized that wherever I was going to go, it was on purpose. To find the purpose within the vision of where you want to end up and understanding that every day you move a couple of yards forward 
you got to make that conscious decision, conscious decision that you want to get as close as possible to the goal if you're going to touch down, right? So every yard counts. Maria knows this better than anyone. <laughs> She's a Patriots fan. Um, yeah. But it's important that if you're going to play this game and you made a decision to wear the jersey in the morning, that you finish strong, that you run as fast, that you play as hard. Because like I said earlier, we we have an expiration day. So if we're not in terms, if we're not in acknowledgement, if we're not in acceptance that it will end, then it's hard to actually keep going because you feel like you have time. And only some of us who have experienced death and have experienced the passing and the loss of some really influential and special people in our lives, you know, can tell you that when it happens, it happens. It doesn't just like, and then it happens. And then we, no, no, this happened. And you got to ask yourself, you know, who are you playing for now? You know, and you got to put yourself in the game. I always say, you know, if you woke up this morning, find the road. Let's get it, step on it, you know. Um, so that's what keeps me going. I, I also, you know, I, I can give you the obvious one, which is I see my daughter now and I go, I will leave you an empire. <laughs> <laughs> you shall have a planet, young lady. If you didn't want it badly before, forget yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. So um, the next thing that I would offer is what if I made a difference? What if I changed everything? What if I had the power to absolutely redefine how we all look at one another, whether it's through content, radio, a voice, a, a, a thought, a conversation? What if this could change everything? And that wonder keeps me swinging so hard because I feel like I'm inches away from something iconic all the time. And it's more real and more real the more I talk to individuals like you and partner with I mean, incredible people like, like MR. I feel like all those things become even more and more obtainable. Every conversation is an inch to the what if this all can really work. And that's why these conversations, that's, that's what keeps me showing up to Essential Voices. What if this really could change people? What if, you know, Rev Jen's words, you know, hit somebody literally at the, at the five-yard line before they decided to quit the Super Bowl. What if? And we live in a very magical time. So many things are more possible to people that never thought would have resources to do so and realized the only resource they needed was themselves. So as we close down our show, you guys have been incredibly generous with your time. Thank you for indulging into such a vulnerable uh, a place, but also a place of inspiration. I know for sure you've brought a lot of light to this episode. You brought a lot of inspiration and hope, but even more critically needed, understanding that you've provided some really beautiful notions and a spirit to follow and an aspiration in the words that you've used and shared with us today. You know, maybe we can talk two seconds about, you know, how the community can support the work that you do and how we can all show up for you as well. And let us know if there's anything that you'd like to share. And maybe one final thought for uh, for our listeners. And we'll start with uh, Rev Jen. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, you can follow my work at reverendjen.com. Um, I just wrote a new book. It's called To My Beloved's Letters on 
faith, race, loss, and radical hope. I hope it helps somebody. So um, it's short. It's short. I made sure it was short. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's certainly readable. So you can check me out there. You can check out the work of the awesome community I'm a part of, Faith Matters Network at faithmattersnetwork.org. And I think the word I want to leave folks with is just like, in the midst of all the chaos, confusion, everything going on, like the greatest gift we can give ourselves sometimes is just to stop and breathe and remember that like the act of breath at a time that literally seeks to steal our breath, both metaphorically and physically is a miracle. So thank you all for having me. This has been like the best conversation. I had a hard week and I was like, Ooh, we gonna talk about grief. This is gonna be rough. And this is such a blessing and gift to me. So thank you all. Thank you. You can find me doing exactly this in a different way, living my purpose and my kind of my calling, doing my show better together with Maria Menounos. It's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever podcasts are, and having these really important conversations. But also, it's very health and wellness minded. I want to help people get better in all areas of life. It's my mission. It's my calling. And especially after what we've gone through the last five years with dual brain tumors and these health journeys, I'm really passionate about people's health journeys and empowering them to take the reins and to listen to their instincts and to ask for guidance from above, whatever that above is for them, and to teach them how to make that connection and, and to, to use it. And how to put that fear kind of aside. And so every day I'm trying to find the best and help us all get better together. And that's why I called it Better Together, because we are better together. There's always going to be somebody who's going to come in with something that you weren't thinking of or another way, another perspective or solution. And we are better together. So that's where you can find me at Maria Menounos on Instagram, at Better Together with Maria, whichever one. I'm there every single day. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And I appreciate the time that you guys gave us. And uh, to everyone listening out there, our love and our prayers, if you're experiencing anywhere near of our conversation um, and you share the same heartbeat as our stories as well. You know, it feels odd to be smiling after sharing such painful stories, but I can't stop thinking about both Maria and Reverend Jen's mothers. They were clearly such incredible women, and I'm honored that we got to hear their stories. You know, this pandemic has left no one unscathed, and though that's a lot of pain and grief to stomach, it's also a reminder that even in the darkest of moments, we have the power to create joy within the worst possible situations. Absolutely, absolutely. You're so right. And um, I'm still left thinking of all the personal stories we all shared and how we all share the awful experiences of losing loved ones uh, be it to COVID or cancer. These beautiful lives like Maria and Jan's moms are celebrated here on Essential Voices today. And that that fills my heart with purpose because it is their memories and their souls that stay with us forever until it's time for us to pass as well. So, and though our listeners couldn't see them, I wish you all could have witnessed how much both Maria and Rev Jan lit up at the chance to share the happy memories they have with their moms. It was a tangible reminder of how those we lose live in the stories we tell. This will without a doubt be a conversation I listen back to moving forward. It was so full of hope and there was something really special about that conversation that we ended on about what keeps us all going. You know, it fits that as we talk about coping with what we've lost, we learn to celebrate what we still have. 
Next week, we'll continue having these essential conversations. We'll talk first with firefighter Gabriel Perez, and then with our roundtable guest, author of Breathing Fire, Jamie Lowe, and executive director of the forestry and fire recruitment program, Brandon Smith. Essential Voices with Wilmer Valderrama is produced by me, M.R. Raquel, Allison Shano, and Kevin Rutkowski, with production support from associate producer Lillian Holman, executive producers Wilmer Valderrama, Adam Reynolds, Leo Clem, and Aaron Hilliard. This episode was edited by M.R. Raquel and Sean Tracy and features original music by Will Rosati. Special thanks to this week's essential voice, Sean Troy, and to our thought leaders, Reverend Jen Bailey and Maria Menunos. Additional thanks to Victoria Litardo, Kelsey Mayer, and Pooja Nayar. We would also like to honor those that we've lost and whose legacies we celebrate, including William Penn Troy Sr., Christine Bailey, Glendon Tyler Ashman, Litsa Menunos, and Miguel Biller. This is a Clamor and WV Entertainment production in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.